So glad to have you worshiping with us. How, who's enjoyed a week of winter this week? I could take a week of winter anytime, right? Just a week is good. And uh, looking forward to it being gone. For all of you joining us online, we're so glad to have you worshiping with us wherever you are joining us from today. I pray that the same spirit that's in this place will be where you are, that God would be speaking to you today. Um, have you ever had someone say this to you? You're going to want to know this. Have you ever had someone tell you that? You're going to want to know. The reason they say that to you is because they know that they know something that you don't know, right? And they know that you're going to want to know what they know, and you're going to need to know that. I know this week is exam weeks for all of our high school students, all you high school students. Had anyone in the last week or two had a teacher tell you, you're going to want to know this, right? They're trying to cue you in to the idea that there's something on the exam that you're going to want to know, but if you're anything like me, and your brain is probably already full of things you need to know. Anyone you can relate to that, right? Like some of us just have a smaller hard drive than others. I just will admit it, right? Sometimes like that brain gets full, and so what do you do to make room? Is that you sort of hear things and you analyze it and you assess it and you wonder, does this apply to me, right? And if it doesn't apply to me, you don't pay attention. How many husbands in the room can just so say, yes, I agree, right? right? And you're just thinking, I don't need to know this, right? And so, you know, but, but, and I, I, but here's the thing. Sometimes the things that we don't think apply to us do, right? And we didn't pay attention, and we can get ourselves into hardship and trouble for not paying attention. How many husbands can say amen? A couple years ago, I was driving, and I saw, and I was driving, I had a bunch of my, my kids and my, their friends in the back of my car, and, and we came to this sign on the road, and the sign said, road closed. Now, how many know that it usually says, like, road closed, like, except for local traffic, but this one said, road closed, and in my mind, I was thinking, I'm local traffic, that doesn't apply to me right? I, it didn't say it, but I just kind of inserted, like, doesn't apply to me on the bottom of the sign. And so I veered off the street, and there was like kind of an opening in the cones, and I was thinking that must be where they want me to go. And I went onto this road, and I soon found, no, it meant road closed. And they were doing construction, and there were like backhoes, and there were like all this machinery coming and going, and, and all the construction workers were giving me dirty looks, and, and I was kind of making my way, and, and all of a sudden this guy with a sign kind of leaned over, and he tapped on the side of my window and says, the road's closed. And I was like, oh, I'm sorry, I thought it didn't apply to me, right? <laughs> I, I, I don't know if you've ever had that, but you're like, you know, you just, the road doesn't apply to me. Well, we're kicking off 2024 with a series that we're calling Soul Detox. And in week one, Pastor Riley talked to us about the restless soul. And last week, we talked about the heavy soul. And uh, one of the statements that we've been repeating in our series is that we are not a body with a soul, but we are a soul with a body. So we are not our bodies. Scripture describes our body as a temporary dwelling uh, in which we live. And one day we're going to have a renewed body. How many are excited about the renewed body? Right? One day we're going to have that, not a beach body, we're going to have a heaven body. And it is going to be phenomenal. It's going to be amazing. Right? But we are a soul. And for the purpose of this series, we've been talking about soul being the inner you, the mind, will, 
and emotions. It's been said that we are not human beings having a spiritual experience, but we are spiritual beings having a human experience. It's an important distinction to know. But this is the time of year, and uh, we tend to give a lot of focus and attention to the importance of caring for our physical bodies. Anyone with a gym membership noticed that the gym has been a little fuller in January than it was in October, November, December. Anyone can notice that, right? Anyone here with a brand new gym membership? Anybody? You, or maybe a, a gym membership you dusted off and, uh, and you're, you're back in the gym. Maybe you made some New Year's resolutions. All the things we want to do more. We want to, we want to walk more. We want to drink more water. We want to sleep more. And uh, we want to eat less, right? So it's more, 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 and less. And uh, so caring for your body is important. This body is God's gift to you. It's the vehicle through which he wants to uh, relate to you and he wants you to serve him and to serve his family. And so we should be caring for our physical bodies. But for all the talk of physical health, you know, how much consideration and intention do we give to our souls? And so in this series, we've been talking about detoxing our souls. How do we increase our spiritual health? And so here's the challenge for us in week three. In a moment, I'm going to tell you what our topic of the day is. And in a moment, a bunch of you are going to think, that's great, Pastor. I'm glad you're preaching on that because somebody needs to hear it. Here's my challenge today is I know I'm preaching a message that right off the hop, many of us are going to think, doesn't apply to me. Can you imagine being a speaker that knows your audience is already thinking, I don't need to pay attention to this. Imagine, imagine that. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to pay attention. Pay attention. You're going to want to know this, okay? I'm trying to cue you in. Don't tune me out. You're going to want to know. Say we're talking about detoxing our souls from idolatry. We're talking about the worship of idols, right? And some of you are like, oh, phew, all right, all right. So I'm not going to be too convicted today already, right? You know, you're already like, this is for you. Turn your name and say, this is for you, right? It's for you. I don't, I don't know if it's for me, but I know for sure it's for you, right? I'm good, right? Maybe you're doing well in this. And this is the thing. I hope that many of you are already doing well in this area. Maybe this isn't a crisis point for you, but I want you to pay attention. You're going to want to know this because there's more to it than you might think. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12 says this. If you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. Have you ever heard this verse before? This verse talks about temptation. Listen to what it says. If you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to you more than you can stand. When you're tempted, he'll show you a way out so that you can endure. We read this and we say, okay, don't think you're stronger than you are. Realize that we are all susceptible to temptation. If you've ever read this passage like I have, you've read it in that way. I know I'm susceptible to temptation. But what does it say in verse 14? It says, so. Everyone say, so. so. Everyone say, so what? That whole purpose that says, don't be strong, don't think you're stronger than you are. Temptation is real. So what? It says, flee from the worship 
of idols. I always thought this passage was just about temptation, but here it's saying it actually is related to the tie of idol worship. In 2024, I love last week uh, Rose prayed and she said, I want more in 2024. How many want more of God in 2024, right? How many want to see the hand of God in your life? You want to see God move through you, in you. You want to see God do things through our church, in our region. We want more in 2024, but this is what it's going to take. It's going to take us detoxing the idols from our lives. Everyone say amen. All right, you got to work with me today, all right? Let me know that you're paying attention, uh, that this is for you. If you go in the middle of the service, you can say, this is for me, Pastor. This is for me. Exodus chapter 20, we find the Ten Commandments, the Ten Laws that God gave his people in the Old Testament. If you want to turn to Exodus chapter 20, you can turn there with me. Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, it's going to be on the screen. I want us to read these two verses together, okay? On the count of three, one, two, three. You must not have any other God but me. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. Now, obviously God thought the idea and issue of idolatry was important enough to make it the first two commandments when he gave it to his people. He said, these are the top two things I want to make you aware of. Martin Luther famously believed that if you kept the first two commandments, you would instinctively keep the other eight. He said that if you could steal or if you could lie to your neighbor, if you could commit adultery or have sex outside a covenant relationship, you'd already broken the first two commandments. He said in breaking the other eight You've already believed that there's something that those things provided that God couldn't provide. Something greater, something more valuable than God. And he said, because of that, you're already guilty of adultery. Or idolatry, sorry. Idolatry has been and is our world's number one problem. Really, that's what original sin is. When you think to the fall of Lucifer, uh, describes that in Ezekiel, what did Lucifer sin? We say he had pride, but really he put himself in the place of God. <clears throat> As we look at Eve in the garden, it says that she took of the fruit and ate it against God's wishes. Why? Because it said that your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. We see in Romans chapter 1, 25, Paul does a really great job summarizing the problem of sin in our world. And this is what he says in verse 25. He says, they traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself. That is the world's number one issue. That's our issue. That's the issue of humanity in a nutshell. But why is it God so concerned that we're vulnerable to worshiping idols? I think it's because our souls are created to connect and to worship the one and true living God. We are worshipers. Worship isn't just something that we do. It's something that we are created to do. We are created to worship. Our worship doesn't have an off switch. We will always worship something. I don't know if you've ever been in a crowd but I've been in crowds before, and maybe you've had this happen to you. You ever had, like, a kid in a crowd, and they thought you were their parent? 
Maybe they come and they grab your leg or they come and hold your hand and they sort of tug at you. And all of a sudden they look up and they're like, oh, you're not who I thought you were, right? It's like this connection. They're looking for connection with their father. And so they're drawn to that connection. And sometimes we are drawn to the things that aren't really what we're supposed to be connected to. Scripture warns us repeatedly that our souls are constantly enticed and seduced into worshiping other things. Deuteronomy 4, verse 16 says this, So do not corrupt yourselves by making an idol in any form, whether of a man or a woman, an animal on the ground, a bird in the sky, a small animal that scurries along the ground, or a fish in the deepest sea. And when you look up into the sky and see the sun, moon, and stars, all the forces of heaven, don't be seduced into worshiping them. Now, the reason most of us don't think idolatry or the worship of idols applies to us is because we look at this list and it says, no worries. I, I'm, there's no worry of me worshiping cats. Like, cats are evil. I'm never going to make an idol of a cat or like a rodent, things that crawl on the ground. Uh, you know, I'm not going to bow down to the sun or the moon. And, uh, you know, that statue that I bought at the flea market, I don't really think it has any power to change my life, right? And so we look at these idols. We look at what we're being warned against here. We look at the ancient people of history. And we think how primitive and naive these people were, right? We look at the Old Testament, and I'm like, I don't understand. These people are kind of pathetic. How do they bow down to golden calves, and how do they worship before statues of their gods? How do they build shrines and altars to the sun, the moon, and the stars? And it seems really kind of dumb to us, doesn't it? It's like, I would never do that, right? Um, in, in my enlightenment, I would say that idol worship is really irrelevant to our world today, but the wording here in this passage is so important. The reason that we don't recognize the pull of idolatry on our life is because what is it, the word here? That we are seduced into it. Seduced, it's seductive. We're subtly enticed. We're drawn towards it and the things we're drawn towards worshiping are hard to recognize as counterfeit. A few years ago, it was Father's Day, and there's a man in my last church who knew that I was a Dallas Cowboys fan, and thank you for all of you who reached out this week and wanted to make sure that I was okay, uh, or that you wanted to rub it in. I just want to let you know, there were no tears shed, because as I preached to you last September, I was expecting it. I didn't get my hopes up, and because of that, I wasn't disappointed. It's like, I'm not cynical. That's what I've come to realize. I thought I was jaded and cynical. I've come to realize I'm just realistic, right? And so the Cowboys let me down in a bad way, and, you know, it's okay. I, my faith is in Jesus. But Cowboys are not an idol in my life, just saying. Right, But there was a man in my church, and he had a gift that he wanted to give to me for Father's Day. He was so excited, and he called Holly and said, Holly, can you come get this gift? I want to give it to Jerry. I just think he's going to love this Father's Day. I'm so excited. And he told Holly what it was, and she was excited. She, oh, he's going to love that gift. It's going to be so great, and he's going to love it. And so she went and she picked it up and she brought it to the house. And by this time, the hype was so real. I'm like, I'm really excited to find out what this gift is. And uh, she pulled it out of the bag. And in this bag is a autographed football 
from Emmett Smith. In case you don't know, Emmett Smith is the, one of the greatest running backs of all time in the NFL and famous Dallas Cowboy. Won three Super Bowl championships back when they were good. All right? And so we have an autographed ball in it. And she said, this is so amazing. And this ball, just as it is, probably worth about $500. And so this man was so excited for me to have this ball from my team. And I was excited. He said, there's authentication paperwork that goes with it. And so this is amazing, right? And so I got the authentication paperwork out. And I looked at it for the, you know, for it to say this is a legit autographed football. But instead, it said that he had paid $39 for it on eBay. And I got thinking, I'm not too sure that this is an authentic signed Emmett Smith football. I don't think that this is genuine. I think it might be counterfeit. As I did some research online, I found out that Emmett Smith is one of the most counterfeited autographs of the NFL. And so now I have this ball here, and I'm not sure if it's legit or not. It might be counterfeit. I think it could be. But I keep it on my shelf because it's a great conversation piece, right? But here's the thing, you know, the counterfeit disappoints us, right? We think it's the uh, authentic, but the counterfeit always disappoints. And that's what the seduction and deception of idols is. They promise fulfillment, they promise blessing, they promise life, but counterfeits always come up disappointing. Counterfeit idols are the reason so many people would describe their lives as being full, but their souls being empty. How many have heard stories of famous people and celebrities and millionaires and business people that said, my life is so full and yet I feel so empty? We have friends who say, I have it all. I have every reason to be thankful and yet I still feel like there's something missing in my life. Matthew 16, 26 says, what benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? One of the reasons it's so hard to identify the idols of our lives is because idols wear disguises. They're disguises. They're seductive. J.D. Greer, a pastor, he says, idols are not usually bad things. They're often good things that we've given God-sized weight in our life. They're good things that we're looking to to fulfill the things that only God can fulfill. You might say that they're good things we've turned into God things. And so how do we learn to identify and tear down the idols of our lives? How do we detox our soul from their seduction? 1 John 5 says this, says, Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your heart. You know, what do we think brings us purpose and fulfillment and security and identity? All the things that we are meant to find originally in God. Pastor Tim Keller says, an idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give you. Ultimately, it's what do you ascribe ultimate worth to? See, that's what worship is. In the old English, if you went to the etymology of worship, you would find out that it actually means worth-ship. What are we ascribing worth? What are we attributing value to? When we worship God, we are actually saying, God, you are of value. We are ascribing to you that power and that place and that position in our life. That's what worship is. Ascribing value and attributing 
worth. Now, one of the reasons we don't think idolatry is an issue for us is because it's so easy to justify and rationalize and bring excuses um, as to why some things are acceptable in our lives and not an issue. You know, no one would argue that a strong work ethic or a high priority and consideration of others or solid money management skills or an emphasis on family. No one would say those are bad things. Those are all good things in their place, even great things, except for when we start looking to those things to provide what only God can provide in our life. Scholars have talked about two kinds of idols, surface idols and source idols. Surface idols probably tend to be the things that we think of the most. If I said, what's an idol in your life or what's an idol in the life of the person sitting beside you? It's easier to see in their life than yours. I know, right? But the surface idols, they're the more easily seen. They're more observable. Like if we think of the idol, like say materialism, right? You know, I have meaning and purpose from having a level of wealth. I have financial freedom and, and because of my nice possessions, it gives me value and identity. We can see that pretty easily in materialism. You think of, of image, you know, I have meaning by how I look or I'm concerned of what people think of me, right? Work can be an idol. I, I derive purpose and meaning and security from my ability to get things done and to provide for my family. Maybe even helping can be an idol. Like, I feel valued when I'm needed, right? Some people just are like, I have a need to be needed, right? And so we can see those idols more apparently. But what the scholars talk about, these surface idols are fueled usually always by four source idols. Four source idols that fuel all the other surface idols of our lives. If we were to peel back the layers of our idols, if we were saying, you know, we would find these four at the root. And the four of this, the power, approval, comfort, and control. Power, approval, comfort, and control. Usually the things that we worship and the things we idolize are deriving our need for these four things. And so I love this chart that I uh, came across in my studies, and it, it talked about these four things. It talked about power. When I have power, it's like it shows itself. I want to be successful. I want to have influence. I want to win, right? And the price you're willing to pay when you're pursuing power is that I'm willing to be burdened. I'm willing to take on responsibility. It's kind of like I wonder sometimes, like we're gearing up for another presidential election in the States. I'm like, why would anybody ever want that job, right? But you see that there are some people who want power. And because of that, they're willing to take on the burden and responsibility that comes with that power. But their greatest nightmare is humiliation, right? I can't, don't want to be humiliated, and then there's another list here that say, well, what do the people around you feel when you are pursuing that idol in your life? And they often feel used, right? They feel used. You use them towards a goal. You use them towards, and I'm trying not to think of politics right now, but it seems so easy for me to see these things as I look in that sphere. And so the common problem or emotion someone in this uh, vein feels is anger or frustration, I'm in the pursuit of power. I feel anger or frustration. 
someone that's seeking approval, it looks like affirmation. I want love. I want relationship. All great things. But when it's feeding this idol of approval, I'm willing to give up independence of my life. But my greatest fear is to be rejected. That's my greatest fear. That's what I worry about the most. And so sometimes people around them feel smothered. They feel like, like I just, you're just always kind of needy or clingy, right? And the common problem emotion is this cowardice or fear. I don't want to upset anybody because then they're not going to like me and they're not going to approve of me. Some of us pursue comfort. You know, it looks like privacy or the lack of stress or freedom. And so we're, you know, we could put off productivity. Uh, you know, our greatest demand is stress. Our, our greatest fear is being stressful. And because of that, um, people around us can feel neglected, right? If you think of someone in a family uh, unit who's just really set on comfort of their life, they're not leaning into the hard things. They're not leaning in. And uh, the common problem emotion is boredom or laziness. And lastly, control. Control can look like self-discipline, certainty, or standards, all really great things. But when it becomes an idol in our life, we're trying to hold on to control. You know, sometimes we're willing to, to go it alone. We think that we are on an island of loneliness. You know, we're willing to give up spontaneity because we want to be disciplined. All the people in our lives, we look at them and we're like, those are really great attributes in the proper place. But when it becomes unhealthy, Right? We see that it can become uh, a god or an idol. And worry and anxiety is one of the core driving uh, emotions for someone pursuing control. So what does this look like? Okay, let's use, let's use money as an example. The Bible talks a lot about money. And it hits all these ones really easily. We can see, uh, you know, money is a great tool, but a terrible idol. Right? Money is a great tool, but a terrible God in our life. In fact, 1 Timothy 6, as you know, says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So we would look at money as a surface idol. Someone who's in the pursuit of financial gain. And there's a story in Mark 10 of a rich man who approached Jesus. And he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So what did Jesus say to him? He said, you got to follow the commands. And he begins to list a bunch of the commands. He says, uh, you must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not lie or cheat, you got to honor your parents. And this man, like many of us today, would go, check, 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 done it. I'm good. I've kept all the commands. And uh, he said, this doesn't apply to me. I've done all that. But then listen to what it says in Mark 10, 21. It says, then looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. I mean, the Jesus feels genuine love for you. It's not guilt or condemnation or judgment. He feels love for you. He feels love for me. He sees us in our brokenness and weakness, and he feels love for us. And he said to him, there's one thing you haven't done. Yeah, you've kept all the rules, but your soul has still been seduced by a counterfeit idol. Verse 21 says, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and then you'll have treasure in heaven. And then come follow me. And this the man's face fell and he went away sad for he had many possessions. Now I've said this to you before. Jesus isn't against wealth. He's not against blessing. He's not against uh, possessions. And it says here in 2 Corinthians 9 that God will generously provide all you need. 
so generously, in fact, that he says then you'll have more to bless others with. God's not against wealth or generosity or blessing, but he could see in this man a surface idol which was being fed by a source idol. Now, I don't know exactly for this man, but what was driving or fueling the surface idol of the love of money? It could have been power. I know having more money would give me more influence, right? People of influence are the people who have the money, right? Maybe it was approval. I know others will respect and appreciate me because of the things that I have or the things I'm able to provide for them. Maybe it was comfort. I will have peace and security when I have uh, money in the bank. I can live at peace and sleep well at night. Or maybe it was control. I won't have as many problems if I have enough money to deal with them on my own. I think that's one of the things, a challenge of presenting the gospel in our culture in our day and age is that people don't feel the need for God always because a lot of people can buy their way out of their, their trouble, right? They, they can provide for their needs financially. And so this is kind of one of those things that what is feeding what is feeding the idol in my life? For me, a lot of times as I was growing up, I recognized approval as one of the idols of my life. If I'm being honest with you, even as a high school kid, I used to go to our midweek Bible study at school, and I was friends with a lot of people in school, but this is how I would walk it down the hall. I would walk down the hall, hey, 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 nice to see you. And then I would come to the classroom where we would have the Bible study. I'd be like, hey, hey. And then I would duck into the class like this because I didn't want anyone, where'd he go? I don't know, he just disappeared, right? I don't want them to see me going to Bible, call, uh, Bible study at school because I cared what they think, Right? For a lot of times, I was like, I didn't want to speak up for the truth of what I believed about God because I don't know that they didn't believe the same. And I, it was an idol in my life, the approval of other people. Something that God's had to do. I didn't want to have difficult conversations. Conflict was an issue for me when I was starting out in ministry because I didn't want to have that awkward conversation where you might not like me or you might not like what we're talking. It really made me awkward, but I had to live. I've said this before, you have to go through the awkward to get to the awesome, right? And I had to, this is an area that God's had to deal with me in my life, not seeking the approval of others. Maybe it's something for you. Why do you lie to people when they invite you over and you don't want to go, Right? Just tell them, I'm sorry, I can't come, right? I don't want to. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, I don't know. Maybe that's not, maybe it hurt their feelings too. I don't know. We'll see. Right? But we make up all the excuses. Well, yeah, I got to check with the wife. I got to, like, oh, you know, like it's, we do it. If we're being honest, right? We don't want them to be upset. We don't want to just tell the truth. You know, one way to identify what could possibly be idols in our lives is to ask these four questions. How do I spend my time? How do I spend my money? What do I talk about most? And what do I worry about? Or what do I fear most? See, if you find big patterns or trends in this area, you might identify an area to pray about and explore and say, God, is there more to this? You know, if the majority of your time is always focused on the same thing, you might need to say, God, is this an idol in my life? doesn't mean that it is. 
Right? We all have to go to work, you know, for 40 hours a week. And we go, like, oh, God, I think work might be a night all over. All like, you know, all kids' school. Like, oh, I can't go to school. You know, I don't want to spend all my time in one place. No. Right? If we're always spending our money in a certain direction, I had a friend, he was like, all my spare change is going towards golf. He recognized, you know, golf is good for a lot of us. It's okay. But for him, he said, this is an idol in my life. Maybe it's our conversations, that they continuously drift to the same subjects. Maybe it's the area of worry of your life reveals where your trust and faith is lacking. I'm always worried. You might say, God, bring to mind, are these trends, are these results an area of idolatry in my life? You know, none of them are, are bad in themselves, but they can be areas where God says, hey, there's something to pay attention to. So how do we tear down our idols? You know, it's so much easier when we look at the statues and the shrines and the altars of the Old Testament. I love the story where God speaks to Gideon and he says, Gideon, I want you to go and I want you to tear down the altars of your father. I want you to go and tear down the altar of Baal and I want you to go tear, tear down the Asherah pole beside it. And, uh, and you know, and Gideon goes, he's not, he says, I'm not going to tolerate or allow anything to stand between me and God. And so he goes and he tears down these physical representations of these idols. But what does it look like for us to dethrone the idols of our lives? As I was reflecting back over my course of ministry as a youth pastor, as a, as a pastor, and just different people in different stages of life, I got, how did people in the, that I've ministered to, how did they tear down idols in their lives? I, I've known people who were in relationships, and it was just kind of one relationship after the other. You know, it's almost like I can't imagine being alone. I find value, I find worth in having a relationship, a boyfriend or a girlfriend. I've known people that were like, you know what, I just need to not date for a year. And they sort of set aside time. I just need to create a divide in space where God can minister and fill that place in my life. I recognize an idol of relationship. Uh, I had a friend who uh, had the idol of approval, and she had uh, developed an online social media. Uh, um, she was an influencer, fitness influencer, and kind of like a mommy, mom, mommy. I don't know what you call them, like a mommy blogger and social influencer. And uh, and she kind of felt like all this talk about what she was doing. She's like, my heart's not in that. I actually feel God telling me that I need to give up that whole platform and make my platform about inspiring women with the truth of the gospel. And she said because of that, she lost all the following that she had before, and she gained this new following where she's just encouraging people in the truth of God. That's what it was for her. I've known people that quit sports because it was getting in the way of church. You know, they're just like, I just never at church because I'm always at the arena. And so I just, for me personally, I needed to give that up. They said, not me personally, I don't play hockey. But, you know, for them personally, like I said to my friend, he had to give up golf. I'm not saying you need to give up golf, but that's what the Lord put in his heart to do. I know families have gotten rid of their TVs. They're like, we just sit around the, the box and we just worship every night at the box of the TV, right? And for us, that became an idol, I've known people that have sold their business. This is taking up so much of my time and energy that I'm not even present for my family or my kids that need me. I need to sell my business. I know people that have given away wealth. They said, I have wealth, but I just feel God telling me that I need to break free from his bondage by giving it away to charity. I knew a pastor one time led this biker to the Lord, and the biker said, my bike is my idol, and so he gave the motorcycle to the pastor. It's amazing. 
I don't know what it means for you. But for me as your pastor, I want to pray, God, would you show me anything in my life? Is there anything that I can't live without? Is there anything that I couldn't give away, that I couldn't quit, that I couldn't give up? I don't want anything to own me. And as I survey my life, there's nothing that I couldn't give away, quit. Some of it would be hard. You're like, yeah, like, Lord, I give it to you. Right? Some of those things, right? But there's nothing that owns me. That's the place that I want to be in. I don't know what it would mean for you, but if there's anything that's more important to your soul than God, and if we're sincere in asking him, I think he'll show us how to tear those things down in our lives. But notice that God didn't just tell Gideon to tear down the idols. He says to him, I want you to go and build something in its place. You got to fill your soul with God. See, a detox isn't just about what you're eliminating from your body. It's not just about what you're eliminating from your soul. It's about what you are putting into it. Tim Keller continues. He says, if you uproot an idol but fail to plant the love of God in its place, another idol will just grow back. One person I read as I was studying this week says, if you worshiped your way into sin, you need to worship your way out of it. We need to fill our hearts with God. I love Psalm 84 verse 2 says, my soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out to the living God. Churches, we're in 2024. I want this to be the motto of my heart. My soul yearns and even faints for the presence of God. There's nothing in this life that I'm looking to to fulfill my soul beyond what God has for me. I don't know if you've ever been in that place where you're just like, I just need a vacation. You ever had that? You had that feeling, I just need a vacation, right? How many of us ever talk about the Lord's presence like that? Like, I just need the Lord's presence, right? Saturday night, you just, I can't wait for church. To, I just need to be in the presence of God. I just need to be fulfilled by Him. I, I love Psalm 107, 9 says, He satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. There's nothing in this world that's gonna fill you or satisfy you like the presence of Jesus. And so today I'm saying, God, let's detox our souls from idols. And we can sit here and go, oh, it doesn't apply to me. You know, remember what the Bible says, if you think you're strong, watch out, the temptation's there, right? Maybe you don't need to know it right now, but maybe a little bit later this month or a little bit later this year, God's saying, you're gonna wanna know this. So much so that over 200 times he talks about idol worship in the Bible, not just talking about golden calves and images, shrines, but he's saying to you and to me, watch out, because there's a seductive idol that's trying to grab a hold of your soul. But if you keep your soul clean and you keep your eyes on Jesus, you'll find the fulfillment and the filling and the freshness that your soul is longing for. Can we stand all across this place together this morning? We're gonna pray the sermon that was for somebody else. That's what we should call this one. Jesus, I just thank you today that you love us so much. God stood out to me that you looked at that rich young ruler and the Bible says you looked at him with love. God, you look at us with love today. Not condemnation, not judgment. You love us and you want what's best for us. You want fulfillment. You want purpose. 
You want us to have that connection with you that we were built for to be in worship relationship with you. You don't want us to have our lives so full but our souls so empty. So I just pray today, Lord, if there's anyone in this place that are in that place, they would say, yeah, I relate to that. My life's full, but my soul's empty. I pray that that hunger and that thirst, God, we would find its fulfillment in you. Lord, as the pastor of this church, I will be the first one to say, Lord, would you reveal to me idols of my life, things that I'm looking to, to fulfill things that only you can really provide, Lord. I pray as I go first, as our leadership team, as our church and congregation, as we all stand in this place and say, God, would you reveal to us the things that have become idols. Help us to be aware of them. Help us to tear those things down in our life. Help us to replace those things with what only you can provide. As we worship you and find fulfillment in you, I pray that we would have spiritual vitality. We have spiritual blessing, God, that there would be no hindrance, there would be a moving of your spirit uh, in our lives or in our church. And from out of here, there would be an abundance of life because we know we have a community and a region that needs what we found in you. Lord, if any of us are tempted to think this doesn't apply to us, Lord, I pray you bring conviction. If any of us think, Lord, that this can't be true for us, Lord, I pray that you would bring that fulfillment, that peace that we'd find in you, what we're longing for. In Jesus' name we pray.